Hi, everyone. We're going to jump right into this next session. This is uh, kind of like running a tag team marathon here. So uh, marathon relay. Uh, I'm just going to introduce Christina Dolan, and she's going to just jump right into her presentation. So Christina, here you go. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Tony, thank you for inviting me wherever you are. Where's Tony? Um, or, I mean, sorry. Um, anyway, well, very excited to be here. And um, this space is actually very interesting to me. I have, I'm an engineer, uh, computer scientist. And uh, when I was getting my second master's, I was at the Media Lab right after when the web browser came out. And so I got to be part of that whole revolution. And um, I was head of Hearst Technologies. Um, I was head of technology at Hearst for the first consumer website and then later at Disney. And I remember people saying, oh, you know, nobody's going to use those devices for entertainment. They want these big screens. You know, it's, it's a little hobby over there. And what's really interesting is that um, that revolution took place. I mean, even like voice over IP was one of those things that people thought would never happen because the FCC wouldn't let it. And meanwhile, we're all using this technology. From there, I, I went to uh, Oracle, did e-commerce, um, then was a co-founder of a company that had a very successful IPO and did some AI at MIT and Harvard and then uh, have been in the fintech space and then from there I came into insurance. And so insurance is a, a very interesting um, area even though it sounds really boring. Um, but the reason why it's interesting is because it's changing very dramatically based upon everybody's changing needs and behavior and all the information that's out there. And so as a result of that it's actually very, very exciting. Is there anybody here who's in the insurance space? I know, when I tell people I'm in, oh, yes, one person, yes, very excited about that. Um, so uh, my uh, two co-founders, Ingemar and Mikkel, and I uh, co-founded IX Ledger about a year and a half ago, and um, it's very exciting to be part of this space. So as I mentioned before, um, one of the things that um, people don't really think about is the fact that um, you know, we're in an environment in which there's so much that's changing. Uh, people are changing. Uh, as a matter of fact, the millennials are the largest demographic ever in history. And they have very different behavior patterns. And so as a result of that, like for example, in the fintech space, there's uh, potentially a lot of change that's happening there, right? Um, in addition to that, we're generating a lot of data. Internet of Things. Um, I think IBM came out with a statistic, I think it was like two years ago, where they said something like 90% of the data had been created in the past two years. And that was two years ago. So I'm sure that that's exponentially doubled in some, in, in some way. Um, in addition to that, we have even more regulatory compliance, especially in the data side. And that's one of the things that people are, are somewhat concerned about, especially when we discuss things like blockchain and data. Um, and the other piece that people don't really appreciate is that now with open source technology, the availability of ideas that can be used to elaborate um, has grown. So I'll give you as an example, um, there's a blockchain that um, JP Morgan uses. And and they were inspired by Ethereum. As a matter of fact, they used some of that open source and eliminated um, the economic layer and made some changes so it's more effective. But it's this type of reusing existing uh, ideas to innovate that has you know, created this incredible speed of innovation. 
And so when I think about, um, you know, in this, in this environment, what's interesting about blockchain within this environment is that we live in a world where you need data. And there's two pieces of that. The people who have the data um, have spent a lot of time cleaning it and taking care of it, right? So they're not just going to give it away to you. And then the other side of it is that the people who are caring for your data um, could have some tremendous liabilities if they just let people use that, right? So um, the use of data is very valuable, but people aren't necessarily going to give it to you, right? So when I think about blockchain, I think about it as a journey. And I'll give an example, you know, journey of a patient. Because in this world where our data lives in a, in a bunch of these siloed systems, it's not like you're going to get access to an API and suck all that data out of there and do your own analytics. You basically have to gather that information along the journey of a patient or a particular procedure or a product. And so as a result of that, um, if, if you're able to take that data and append it in some way, um, you then have uh, you know, a lot of data relative to the cause and effect of that journey, which today is really hard to do. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I spoke at a pharmaceutical company uh, a couple months ago, and they talked about how ca cancer patients oftentimes will walk around with these big binders because they have to carry all of their data with them because it's not necessarily available uh, through one interface um, to their particular caregiver. And if they change from one um, service provider to another, they have to take all their binders over to this, this new provider. And so um, the, the, the medical system uh, or, or the healthcare system isn't, uh, is very siloed. And as a result of that, you, you don't necessarily get the, the that whole journey that's available. And so, you know, in this picture here, I was trying to depict the various siloed systems in which a patient might be uh, going to a doctor, have surgery, has certain medications. Um, then he'll go and um, you know uh, you know have some um, you know other procedures done. But all this information isn't always uh, obtained in one particular system, so that you can you can uh, utilize that. Uh, I, I chair the MIT Enterprise Forum, of, uh, or now the vice chair, and we had a an event around precision medicine, and we had like the who's who of, of um, precision medicine for healthcare. And what's interesting, um, there was a woman in the audience who raised her hand, and she said, you know, as a cancer survivor, I cannot give my uh, my my organs to uh, to anyone, uh, or you know, be an organ donor. But it'd be really great if I can donate not just my Current data, but you know my whole history to prevent other people from um, you know getting cancer to like improve the odds for other people. And unfortunately, as everybody talked in the room, they realized that there really you know aren't easy ways of doing that. So so data today is very siloed, and the ability to capture these journeys is really important. Um, as I said, I, I spoke to a couple of pharmaceutical companies, and one of the things that they talk about is trying to make sure that their drugs aren't counterfeited or that they're able to trace where the elements that were used to manufacture their medicine actually came from. And once again, this journey, I mean, how many of you have heard of the Walmart? Uh, IBM uh, is creating a blockchain uh, system for Walmart uh, that um, you know is able to 
capture that journey of uh, you know a pair uh, through a, a shipping systems um, supply chain system and a variety of other supply chain systems to figure out you know where that uh, particular um, you know ingredient or, or uh, fruit came from and you know uh, where it was delivered and that actually is very time saving because once again we live in a world with siloed systems and all that information is not available. So the th second thing I'm going to talk about, I mean, the, the pre prior panel was very interesting because they talked a bit about this whole concept of behavioral economics or neural economics and game theory. But um, what, I, what I don't think people realize is that over the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years, it all depends upon if you've been a gamer or not, but if you've been involved in social media, at least for the last decade, you've been subject to uh, people uh, manipulating your responses by understanding understanding what gets your amygdala to fire and get you really excited and addicted to social media. And um, if, if you think about token economics, uh, you know, it's been used for children with, for example, with uh, autism, right, uh, as a mechanism to sort of train them by, by giving them rewards. Um, also use them in loyalty systems. And what's interesting in loyalty systems, I, I recently did a keynote at a retail conference, and what's interesting is that um, the behavior of customers when they have a, a good loyalty program in place is like 200 times more repeat business than uh, a store that does not have uh, that in place. So humans have been trained over time, and, and we like to be rewarded for things. That, that stimulation of that unexpected reward uh, makes people excited, right? And, and has an addictive pro uh, uh, component to it, as you can see from you know, social media and uh, mobile devices. And so as a result of this changing behavior that we're all subject to, uh, people are now thinking, okay, well, if I contribute all this information to Facebook, why is mo uh, Facebook getting to monetize it? And the old model for these companies was that they would raise a lot of money centrally from you know, private equity firms, and they would take all that data, monetize it, and then they would benefit from it. But because of the fact that our culture is now changing a little bit, there's this shift towards thinking about things from uh, shared monetization and peer-to-peer. And so as you can see, we, we also have a, a bit of an evolution of, of market economies. You know, we had traditional economies and internet marketplaces. I mean, I was working for Oracle when those first marketplaces came out, and people were saying that nobody would shop online because everybody wanted the retail experience. And then the shared economy model, I mean, when Uber and Airbnb were first coming out, people were saying um, there was, you know, that wasn't going to fly. Nobody was going to take somebody else's home. But now we have peer-to-peer -peer, uh, you know, uh, transactions and contracts. Contracts. And so what, what's happening now is that people are, are, are being trained uh, to be able to uh, take advantage of their contribution and be rewarded for that. And so as a result of that, this is something that we can use when we try to work with patients and uh, reward them for their behavior. One other point before I, I transition into that um, is that I want to talk about the fact, somebody had asked in the prior talk about why can't you use um, Fiat. And one of the reasons why um, utilizing you know, digital you know, crypto uh, uh, coins or money or tokens is that you can program them and they can have you know, multiple capabilities that can be utilized within a, a system to do multiple things. 
And so blockchain is just a component of it. There's many pieces of it, and obviously, you know, data integrity is a big piece of that. But the Internet of Things is a huge layer in this, and it feeds into that. So the reason why I shared the, the journey as well as the token economy is because both of these things are actually a part of uh, a project that um, I've been introduced to uh, that's taking place in Spain. It's, it's around value-based healthcare in, in Europe, and it's being um, organized by some leaders in the healthcare space. And so um, these leaders in the healthcare space have, have worked with Michael Porter in the whole sort of value-based healthcare um, uh, kind of concept. But one of the things that is interesting is that um, you know, while the value-based healthcare is really focused on the service providers, the patient is a very big part of this formula. So I just wanted to point out that um, Dr. Uh, Colas, who is, um, he was the just recently retired CEO of Medtronics in Spain, is one of the people, uh, one of the co-founders of this initiative. And so, um, you know, uh, the challenges for a new healthcare uh, financing model based on, on value, you know, obviously has some, you know, con you know uh, constraints, right? Um, you know, in terms of the healthcare system, obviously, you know, healthcare costs are rising, especially in Europe. You have a lot of um, uh, older population. I mean, I think they're like num number two behind Japan in terms of uh, how long people are living. Um, I just recently, this past week, heard that they actually may have surpassed Japan, but in those later years, they don't necessarily have the highest quality of life, and so the costs for that extended lifespan are significant. And so the idea is, you know, what, what can be done to reduce those costs? Okay. So there's been four uh, types of innovation that's been discussed a lot. Well, you know, it's personalized medicine. Um, I talked about how you know I had uh, organized an event around you know precision medicine. Um, there's preventative, uh, digital. Uh, but one of the areas that's um, most interesting is the idea of you know, predictive medicine. And predictive medicine is interesting because when you think about some of the highest areas of cost in the European uh, system, uh, having sort of a predictive mechanism by which to uh, control the costs makes a lot of sense. So where could the value be created? Um, so in terms of this value journey, um, there's a, a, a number of different um, areas that uh, could be measured. But it's, this is not necessarily something in which um, every uh, healthcare system in the world is the same. As a matter of fact, in Europe, where you have a centrally controlled, you know, government-controlled national healthcare system, um, things operate a little bit differently than they do in the, here in the United States. As a matter of fact, one of the things that uh, comes up a lot in our discussions in Europe is the fact that in the United States, you will often hear of people going bankrupt because they have some sort of an illness, whereas in Europe, that, that's unheard of, that, that never happens. So I think that the 
the important takeaway from this is really that if you can um, focus on some of the areas that are um, preventative or in areas that you can use a value-based metric, you, you can actually improve the quality of life and decreased costs. So as I mentioned before, some of the key concepts, and I know there's a, a number of people here that are talking about uh, Michael Porter's value-based uh, concepts, you know, value equals patient outcomes over cost. Those key concepts don't take into consideration you know, the value journey of the patient. And that's one of the things that th this team in Europe is actually trying to do. So the question is, how do you build this? And so one of the things that they're trying to do, which I think is really smart, is they're picking uh, some targeted areas in which um, if you, uh, you know, if, if you take the, I would say, the five top um, most preventable and expensive areas and, you know, do a pilot and demonstrate that this can be done, the ability to roll something out is a lot easier. And so, um, one of the areas that they're focusing on as, uh, as the uh, first um, trial is in the area for a stroke. And the reason is in Spain, one, only one out of four stroke patients is treated properly. So that means that 75% of the people that have a stroke end up, um, you know, they're, it's a heavy cost to the healthcare system because they either need a lot of services or a lot of um, healthcare as a result of that. And so the idea of taking the entire journey and trying to figure out what that value is across the journey from educating people to making sure that the um, ambulance that picks them up when they get to the hospital, making sure that they're able to be seen within three and a half hours, that they get the right treatment um, and diagnosis. If, if they're able to get the right diagnosis within three and a half hours, um, they can actually get a full recovery. If they don't, they will not. And the cost to the healthcare system is, is enormous. And so the idea that they've come up with is that if they're able to record, not necessarily the patient data, so this is not confidential data, but be able to record those metrics and then go back um, and try to figure out ways to improve that, they'll be rewarding everybody in the ecosystem, specifically around these targeted areas that represent the highest cost to the healthcare system. In terms of preventative medicine, there's a number of initiatives that they've identified and they have locations in which they're going to begin the trials. And so um, they want to make sure that you know, the entire value chain is understood and that they uh, are able to put in place mechanisms to be able to measure this all along the uh, value chain. And so... Uh, Another area is diabetes, and what's kind of interesting is that um, you know diabetes uh, has uh, increased, especially childhood diabetes uh, in Spain, which is a country that didn't necessarily have a lot of diabetes, but as people have gotten older, uh, type 1 diabetes has increased. And so um, trying to uh, put together uh, some mechanisms by which to measure and then treat um, also will help decrease some costs. I think that uh, one of the statistics I heard that was in the Canary Islands, um, they have one of the highest uh, recorded number of, of adults getting diabetes, which end up in um, amputations because 
because they're not taking care of themselves, which has you know, numerous costs and um, really doesn't end up in being a high quality of life. And so um, in terms of the future, the idea is to be able to collect this information. And we're not necessarily talking about private information, but we're talking about metrics to help improve the process. The idea is to be able to figure out what parts of these, um, what I call value chains, um, are performing better or another, and utilizing a mechanism reward to improve upon that so that they can improve the, uh, these customer journeys in, in, in very specific uh, areas and then hopefully grow this into other areas as well. So in terms of conclusions, um, you know, I think value-based healthcare is uh, definitely something that um, you know has been implemented throughout Europe in a variety of different ways. But unfortunately, the the patient hasn't been part of that formula, and so the idea is that by being able to make them part of that formula and giving them rewards that uh, you know the outcomes will be uh, more significant. So that's about it. I was told that um, we were trying to move quickly because we're behind schedule. So uh, feel free to come uh, and talk to me. I'll be here during the lunch hour. Thanks. Thank you, Christine.